multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A great number that could not be numbered. People from all nations, from all languages and tongues, and they were doing one thing. They were praising and worshiping God on His throne. And I believe that every church should reflect what the Lord has intended for His church to be. I mean, why not? Why shouldn't we start becoming what God will bring us to be in heaven right here on earth? I'm not satisfied with just saying, I was saved and I got out of here and I, I escaped damnation and hell. But in t- instead, I want to say, you know what? I started moving in the direction that God intended for me to go. I did some things in my life that, that pleased God. And that's what I think every one of us want. We're not satisfied with life as it is. And His church is supposed to be a representation of that. His church is supposed to be a diverse culture brought together to be one body. Diverse in language, diverse in skin tone, diverse in background, diverse in every imaginable way, but brought together under one banner in one body as one people. That's what we're supposed to become. Peter wrote about the people of the kingdom of God in 1 Peter 2 and 10. He said, we once were not a people, but are now the people of God. You see, there's something common that makes us one. We are the people of God who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And what I want to say today is we may have differences. We may have different backgrounds. We may have different experiences in life. We may even come from speaking different languages or having different places of origin, and on and on we could go through all of the things that could and would make us different. We may not have been a people at one time, but right now we're a people. God takes each one of us, individuals, different, separated uh, differences to ourselves, and He makes us to become one people. And no one else can do that. World leaders try They can't do it. Politics tries. It can't enforce it. Laws try. They can't make it happen. No, only God can do it. He makes us to become one people. Only God can bring a people together that puts aside their differences and sets aside the things that make them want to dislike one another or treat one another ill or draw lines in the sand, so to speak, and make borders and boundaries. Only God can have and bring that unifying experience to people that unifies us regardless of color, creed, language, or experience. God can do that. He can cross all of those boundaries and make every one of us to become one people. A nation almost set aside unto itself called the kingdom of God. A kingdom separated out from the rest of the world. And He does this through giving us the baptism of the Holy Spirit and He makes a church where there was no church. It's His church. If you're a church family member today, Branch's church, I want you to know this is not your church. This is not my church. This is His church. 
This is His church. And only God can do that. What's interesting is every bit of this, when you study Scripture, every bit of God's plan was set in motion. Most people would point to the cross and say, well, the the cross set all of this in motion. And in a way, yes, they're right. It's, It's definitely the beginning. But if you really want to come down to a moment of definition in Scripture, it takes place in Acts chapter 10. Because prior to Acts chapter 10, every event that happened, happened within this small nucleus of Jewish believers. It happened only among the Jews. But in Acts chapter 10, there was a man named Cornelius. He was an Italian man of the Italian band. He was a Roman centurion. He was a Roman soldier. And chapter 10 verse 1 and 2 tell us about this man. He was a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, and he gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So understand who this man is. He, he's not Jewish. He is a Gentile. He is not only a Gentile, but he's probably the most disliked Gentile that could possibly be in the area at the time because he is a Roman soldier. Rome had oppressed and conquered the Jews and, 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 and charged them taxes and kept them, in a sense, under their thumb. And for every Jew, this was a person that they would choose not to associate with intentionally. They may have had to come in contact with him taking care of business. They may have interacted with him in the marketplace, but they were not intentionally going to this man's home. This man was not a Jew. He was a Gentile and he was a Roman. But on the particular day that we're looking at in Scripture, on this day, God is about to bring some change that starts to take hold over the following decades. And if you study Scripture out, it wasn't an immediate overnight thing. You go a few chapters later and there's arguments over uh, what the Jews should expect of the Gentiles and so on and so forth. So it took some time, and I want you to understand, even when God's working, sometimes it takes a little time. It doesn't just happen like that. Sometimes it takes working through some stuff. And so over the next few decades, God is going to make some changes take hold, and I believe that those changes, He's still continuing to work on people and make those changes. But notice what is written about Cornelius. Cornelius is a devout man. Cornelius feared God with all of his household. Cornelius gave alms generously. That's what Scripture says. He was a generous man. And he prayed to God always. Prayed always to God. Today it would be said of Cornelius, he is a good man. He's a giving man. That Cornelius, he's always praying. Some would even say that there's no way that Cornelius is going to be lost. There's no way that this good man could not go to heaven. God would not send a man like this to hell, right? I mean, that's kind of the expectation. But it comes to a fundamental misunderstanding of Scripture. Because Scripture 
and life, it's not about goodness. It's about righteousness. And there's a very distinct difference. Because you can be good without being righteous. And you can become righteous without necessarily having ever been a good person. Because they're very distinctly different. The truth from a biblical perspective is that good people can and will be lost. And I'm sorry if that shocks you. From the biblical perspective, the question is not about our goodness, because the Bible says there is none good. But the question is about righteousness. And so the question on every person's life, my life and your life, is whether or not we are righteous. Not whether or not we've lived a good life, but whether or not we are right with God. Look at the person close to you and say to them, you're a righteous dude, or if it's a woman, say, you're a righteous chick. Say it again. Mean it with some authority. You're a righteous dude or you're a righteous chick. Righteousness means to be morally correct. It means to be justifiable. When a person or someone or we say God is righteous, what is being said is that every action... God takes, every decision that God makes, everything God allows by inaction, that God was right. He could never be wrong. God doesn't make mistakes. He's never wrong. He's always right because he's perfect in his will. He's perfect in his judgment. There is no unrighteousness in him. He is just righteous. It is his nature to be righteous but you and I by contrast we are unrighteous we are often wrong in our actions how many will admit that I've been wrong in my actions if I think about it very long probably sometime this week we're often wrong in our decisions I won't ask you if you made a poor decision anytime lately Paul wrote to the Romans reminding them, and he was reminding them of what David wrote in the Psalms, Psalms 14, and I believe elsewhere he quoted it again, Psalm 53. In Romans 3 and 10, he says, It is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. David knew it long ago. None of us are righteous. Paul confirmed it in the New Testament. No one is righteous. Not a single person in this room is righteous within ourselves. And so you just lied to the person that you said, you're a righteous dude or you're a righteous chick. Further, making yourself more unrighteous. Think about that for a moment. The only way to righteousness for you and I is through Jesus Christ and obedience to the gospel. And so you have Cornelius, this devout man, a God-fearing man. He's a praying man. He's giving alms continuously. He is in 
prayer continuously. And he has on a particular day a vision. An angel of the Lord appears to him with this message in verse 4 of chapter 10. When he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. God has seen your prayers. God has seen your acts of righteousness, your goodness, the things you've tried to do in yourself. God has seen all of that. Don't think God doesn't see the good things that you do. God sees those and He takes note of those. But that doesn't make you right with God. And He says, God has seen all of those things and God wants you to send for a man in Joppa, verse 5 and 6, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. You're going to find him lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And this Peter, this Simon Peter, he will tell you what you must do. You've tried doing everything you can on your own power. You've prayed. You've given alms. God sees you. He respects what you're doing. He's taking note of it all. But you have a thing that you must do. And if you're to know what you must do, you need to send for Peter in Joppa. And he'll come tell you what you need to do. You know, it's interesting to think about, really. Cornelius has this amazing experience. He sees an angel or a vision of an angel, holds a conversation with this angel. And this angel tells him to go find a man he's never heard of, he's never known, tells him where he can find him, who he'll be with, and that this man will tell him what he needs to do. I would say that's pretty miraculous, right? I mean, if if an angel appeared to us in here right now, and said, you need to go and find this person. They're located here. Go do it now. We would be straight up floored, right? Or would it only me or everybody? I would be floored. But the angel says, you need to go find Peter. We would say he has just experienced a miracle. He has just experienced the miraculous. He has experienced something that many of us can probably never say has happened to us before. But even with that, the angel tells him, you need to go find Peter. Peter's going to tell you what you need to do. Have you ever heard someone say, I practice my faith at home? They say, I don't need a church. I don't need a pastor. I don't need to hear a preacher. I wonder what Cornelius would think of that. I think Cornelius might would say, you could have a visitation from an angel, but you still need someone to preach to you what you must do. That could be a message for another day. But just think about that for a moment. So Peter whenever the men show up at Peter's home or at Simon's home, the tanner, and Peter's waiting, Peter makes the journey to Cornelius' home. And when he gets there, what he finds is he finds Cornelius. He's gotten all of his relatives together. He's gotten all of his friends together. They're in his home and they're waiting 
on Peter to come and tell them what they must do. And so Peter arriving there first, when he steps in, Cornelius falls down at his feet, begins to worship, and Peter says, wait a minute, I'm just a man. I know you had this great experience with an angel, but I'm just a man, just like you. Get up, and I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And Peter begins to preach. If you go through and you read what he's talking about, he begins to preach about Jesus Christ and about all power being given to him. He preaches to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was... Uh, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, he resurrected. He gives him everything. And he says in verse 43, To him, Jesus Christ, and all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. He's preaching and teaching them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Peter is preaching to them, the Spirit falls on Cornelius and the whole household all of his relatives, all of his friends. Verse 44, while Peter was still preaching, still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And what's interesting, the very next verse says that all of the people of the circumcision who believed were astonished. They were shocked. You know why they were shocked? Because in their mind, this was only for the Jews at the time. The Jews were the righteous people. They were the people of God. They were chosen by God. And here's this Gentile, this Roman soldier, this centurion, this Italian man, and all of a sudden him and his relatives and his friends and everyone who has come together in that household as Peter is preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit falls on them and they're astonished. They're shocked. How did they know the Spirit fell on them? Verse 46 tells us, They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered in verse 4, They were all filled with the Spirit, begin to speak with other tongues. Or I'm sorry, 47. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized to have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? They were astonished because all of a sudden these Gentiles had the same experience that they had had, that they'd been witnessing. What experience was that? It was in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, the Spirit falling for the first time. Acts 2 and 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance the jews had experienced this they had witnessed this and here they were in this gentile's home and their expectation was not that they would receive the same gift that the same thing would happen to them their expectation was probably something a lot different than that because they saw this man and his relatives and the household as being someone that they would never be a jew you can't become jew you're born into it. And so they watched in astonishment as the Spirit of God falls on them. And in this one instance, in this one thing that happens, God was taking down all of the social barriers that had been built over decades and decades and decades. In one moment, God took down the thing that separated Gentile and Jew. 
because he gave them the same experience. And I want to tell someone today that there is an experience God has for you that it will bring you under the umbrella of being in the kingdom of God. It will make you part of something much greater than your life is right now. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus called it a new birth experience. Peter, when he was preaching, he called it a gift that you could receive. He said it was a promise for all. It's a promise for every one of us. And the Spirit, when it fell on them, those men that were witnessing this and were astonished, Peter said, well, what are we going to do? We can't reject them. They've experienced the same thing we did. Now they need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Can someone forbid them water? Are you going to tell them, no, they can't be baptized? Are you going to tell them, no, that they can't have this? God's pouring it out on them. God's giving it to them. What are we going to do? And so Peter commands Cornelius and his relatives and his friends and all those that had gathered into the house. He said, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. I want someone to understand God has not changed. God is still doing His work, the work that He started on that day. The work that brings every person from a different tribe, from a different nation, from a different people, from a different tongue. He's bringing them all together and He's doing the same work that He started doing then. He's still pouring out the Spirit on people's lives. People are still receiving the baptism and the gift of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues. It's this common shared experience that anyone who believes enough and will ask Him to give it to them, they can have. And it's for every one of us. The promise is to you, to your children, to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And He's calling everyone. He's calling everyone. Can you remember in school, if, if you were raised here in the United States, I don't know how they do in other countries, but I can remember as a kid, I don't know that they still do this. I can remember we started every day off with the Pledge of Allegiance. That little flag hanging in the classroom, they'd come over to the loudspeaker, and we'd stand there and we'd say, the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States. And I can remember, just as a kid, kind of the sense of looking around saying, look, we're Americans. They probably do this in other countries too, something similar. And you have this shared experience of being able to look around and just say, you know what, we're Americans. Go to a ball game and they have, uh, not the pledge, but the uh, national anthem. And it's kind of like you're on this arena of thousands and thousands of people and you look around and you just say, we're, we're Americans. And there's kind of this, this moving experience of this sense of being American. It's having something in common. The person down a couple of seats from me that I don't know, I'm not sure how they got to America, how they came to America or anything. They're standing and they've taken their hat off during that anthem. I just, we're Americans. And it becomes this shared experience. Much greater than that, God has given this common shared experience to everyone who will believe. And He calls us to receive the gift 
that he is pouring out. It's the same promise and the same gift and it for each one of us. It's not for this one over here and this one and so-and-so has a little more anointing and so-and-so God's doing a little more in their life. No, it's the same experience and it's common to all believers that will receive it. It's a promise to every one of us. And there's something about this common experience of receiving the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues that you just, you look across the church from someone else and you may have a lot of differences there may be some differences of opinion there may be some differences of the life that you were raised up in the family you were raised up in there may be differences of what country you were born in and the city you grew up in or town you were raised in there may be all kinds of differences that you can look across and you can see from them but there's this experience that it's God-given. Man can't give it. No one else can take it away from you. God has given it to you. And it's this experience that you are part of something that God has set in motion and and it's bigger than anything else going on in this world. It is the greatest thing to be a part of kingdom of God especially right now how many of us have ever said you know I'd love to have walked with Jesus just a a couple of us (laughs) some of us too shy to admit it or to say you know I, I would love to have been with Paul one of his missionary journeys or I try and read the Bible and I try and put myself in the experience of what's happening. But you know, right now is the greatest time to be part of the kingdom of God because we're seeing the conclusion of what God is doing in this world and He's getting ready to take a church out of here, a church that is from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people and going to make them one church, a glorious kingdom of heaven that we can... Praise and worship God for the rest of millennia all together. That's a beautiful thing. You know, what's interesting is when this happens, Acts chapter 10, Peter, when he comes into Cornelius' home, the first thing he does is he admits a revelation that he's received on the way to Cornelius' home. It happens in verse 34 and verse 35. Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows No partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. You have probably heard or even asked, been asked the question, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord, personal Savior? I want to say, that's not really a biblical question. Let me tell you what is a biblical question, a biblical experience. Have you been accepted by Him? 2 Corinthians 5 and 9, King James Version says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of Him. Another question is, have you been born again? John 3 and 3, Jesus talking to, uh, help me out, not Cornelius, I'm stuck on Cornelius. Nicodemus, thank you. Talking to Nicodemus, he says to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
I'll give you another expression. Have you believed and been baptized? Mark 16, 16. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Another example, have you repented of your sins? Have you been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Acts 2.38, Peter said unto them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He goes on in the next verse to say the promise, this promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's to you, to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. God is calling together a church from every nation, every tongue, every tribe. Let me tell you what he's calling us to. To repentance. To baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And his promise is that if we will do the works of righteousness, just what Peter said, he said, I perceive that those that fear God... Every nation, it doesn't matter their background, it doesn't matter their differences, it doesn't matter their nation they come from, it doesn't matter the language that they speak, it doesn't matter their socioeconomic status, it doesn't matter if they're in poverty or if they're perceived to be on the top of the heap in finances. It does not matter. What matters is that every person in every nation that fears God and works the works of righteousness, they are accepted by God him and so he's calling us to become his and it's so simple it's so easy to just be obedient and do what he's calling us to do going back to peter first peter 2 9 through 10 Peter writes this of the people of God. He says, you're a chosen generation. Look at the person next to you and say, you're chosen. God is choosing you. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter your experiences in life. It doesn't matter if you look at your family and you say, I'm not sure if I'm part of this family. Anybody ever thought that? I'm not sure if some mistake was made. Switched in the hospital. Or you say, you know, I, 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 don't, I didn't come from certain status. We like to take and we put ourselves into categories. God is saying, I've got one category. I've got people that I've chosen. I've got people I've called. And he says, I'm calling everyone, whosoever will, if they'll come. And they'll ask, they'll repent of their sins. They'll be baptized in my name. I will fill them with my spirit. Stand with me. I'm going to throw one more scripture at you in closing. In Joel chapter 2, 
Joel is writing, he's writing a message to the nation of Israel. And as he writes, he moves beyond just writing a message and he moves into what we call the prophetic. He writes a prophecy. Joel 2.28 gives us that prophecy of the day of Pentecost. In the last day, saith the Lord, I will pour out upon all flesh my spirit. He said, I'm, I'm going to I'm not going to keep it to one group. I'm not going to keep it to one language. I'm not going to keep it to one select group of people. I'm going to pour that out on all people. Whoever will receive it, that's who I'm going to pour it out on. And if you're here today and you've never experienced receiving the Holy Spirit, You've never experienced the Spirit of God coming into your life and filling you up to the point you begin to utter something that you have no idea what you're saying and you're speaking a language you did not know before. I want to tell you, there's a common experience for every one of us that you can have it. God's promised it for you. And if you'll just ask Believing, you will receive it. Because I'll tell you the person that God accepts. It's the person that fears Him. Doesn't matter what where they come from. It's the person who works works of righteousness. The works of righteousness, those are the things that God has told us to do. Jesus said, and this is interesting, you want to talk about sin ever because we like to define sin right sin is a certain thing a certain thing that you do jesus said to him that knoweth to do right and does not do it that's sin what's he talking about he's talking about the works of righteousness things god has told us to do and we don't do and god in his word he's laid out this is what i find about the word of god the more time I spend in here, the more I find things I need to apply into my life. I fear Him and I work the works of righteousness. Doesn't mean I'm perfect all the time. Doesn't mean I'm an upright, perfect man. No, it means that whenever I find fault in myself, I try and say, God, forgive me. God, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. God, I'm going to try and live my life, live up to your word and what you're asking me works of righteousness I'm telling every person in this place today God's promise is for you it's a glorious kingdom amen amen Lord I thank you for your spirit that is here today God I thank you for the church that you're bringing us to become God with all of our differences and our diversities and people we have from all kinds of nations that are represented here in such a body. God, I thank you. I praise you for that. God, I praise you for this church representing what heaven is going to look like with all the tongues, with all of the, the, the diversity of nations, the people from every tribe. God, I celebrate today the fact that you have called us together and made us one people through the shared experience, God, of what you're doing in every life. 
God, what you do in our lives, it's so personal, but it's so common. And God, I thank you for that. I praise you and I worship you. And God, if there's a person here today that you've been speaking to their heart, you've been talking to them about their experience with you, and you're calling them deeper, you're trying to move them deeper, God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that your spirit would move on them and would encourage them to take steps of faith toward receiving your promises. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We worship the Lord together for just a moment. I want to invite our church family. You know, we gather every week to give the God an opportunity, give God a time to talk to us, to move on us, to minister to us. Guests, if you're here, we want to invite you to come with us. We're just going to take a little time and let the Spirit of God. God has been speaking to some people in this place today. And we want to open our spiritual ears so that we can hear. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. There's nothing.